Hey, Alex. What, Tad? Let me tell you and the listeners about Homestuck. That's right. It's finally here after a year and a half. I think a year and a half. I think we first started this at the, the whole podcast on like end of March. It was before Homestuck died forever. That's for sure. Uh, let's see. So this is going to be a, over the course of the month. Uh, we had to delay this episode by a little bit because Alex's dog came into the room, heard the word Homestuck and immediately puked on the floor. And also I caught the t- I caught the consumption. Some of you fancy people call it tuberculosis. But I just call that uh, I just call that weak constitution. But we're back and we're ready to go. We're going to split this into three, most likely four, most likely four, but it might be three depending on how it kind of plays out. Uh, this first part here is going to be this first part of the Homestuck College Education course is going to be the first four acts, the setting and mechanics of the comic that made it actually interesting and worthwhile to read. So. Let's just go ahead and let's start with Act 1, and then as things progress, I'll kind of jump out, explain mechanics, shit like that. I'm going to explain, this whole series is going to be explaining why I gave a shit about Homestuck, why I thought it was worth giving a shit about, and what happened over time. So, let's go ahead and let's start up uh, right at Act 1. So the first four acts of Homestuck are like a fucking completely different comic from what happens from the fifth act to the sixth. Uh, to start with, the first two acts were written almost entirely by user commands, which the author used for Problem Sleuth, which is a previous comic he made, where he had a forum, and in that forum he would say, like, okay guys, uh, give me your suggestions, and people would type in there and put, you know, like, build an imagination for it, and he's like, alright, fuck it, whatever, I'll go with that. And that's how he did it for the majority, for actually all of Problem Sleuth. I think near the end, because I bought the actual books, Problem Sleuth and Homestuck and uh, in those books he mentioned like yeah at the end I was pretty much just like cherry picking because I knew where the story was going to go and at that point I was just going to fucking go for it so he was still going with that where he was uh, the the forum was getting too big to take suggestions so he started doing a uh, a poll where you could submit them on the website there but uh, and that's a good and a bad thing when he was doing it Cause, uh, and it was, you could, you could really tell the difference between when there was user submitted commands and when he stopped taking them because the first two acts are mostly like fucking around, not doing anything, which is like, it led to some pretty funny, some pretty funny jokey jokes, you know, a lot of the non, non sequiturs, uh, for example, when it opens up, you know, John gets his name and someone's like, oh, Zeus smell poop lord. And it's like, oh, that's a shitty, whatever. And then that just, like, turns into a thing that comes up a whole bunch. It's real funny, real great stuff. But, uh, the first act spends a large amount of screen time on the intentionally obtuse and overly complex faux video game systems the world of the comic has. Because in Homestuck, there's kind of physical representations of video game mechanics. For example, the item system that you have. It is a Silidex. And to pick up an item, you put it in the CAPTCHA log. You know, if you pick up a weapon, it goes into your Strife portfolio. Silly, over-obtuse names that go into, uh, like, what could easily be described as an inventory is instead, you know, Silidex, CAPTCHA log, all that bullshit. 
Uh, there's shit like uh, the they only speak between uh, text only communication between characters. Uh, there's fucking at the start of the comic, it has a big sun and it has the word home stuck next to it. That's a physical thing in the game, like in the comic. There's a there's a fucking sun that has the word home stuck next to it. It's like it's actually that it's that kind of weird kind of weird physical representation stuff. Question about the sun. So so the words just right next to it, did the words cast shadows? Yes, actually. I was curious. That sounds like a homestuck thing. Yep, at the very end of the comic, there's um some epilogue stuff, and you see the words uh thanks for playing, leaving a shadow on like a house or something. It's it's weird silly shit mm-hmm. like that. So the first character we're introduced to is John Egbert, aka Zeus Malpoop Lord. He's a thirteen year old boy. Uh, his birthday is April 13th, 2009, the same day the comic starts. Uh, he loves bad movies, pranks, and he really fucking hates clowns. Now, each kid has a guardian. John's is, uh, just goes by the name Dad. Uh, single father. Uh, and each guardian is kind of like a super stereotyped parental figure. Dad looks like a nuclear dad. You know, he's got the pipe. He looks like the 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 default main character in Fallout 4, kind of. Except without eyes or facial features, so nothing. At, so nothing like him at all. I mean, you got me there. I'm, I'm thinking mostly the hat. So he's got like a hat. But, he's got the, business. The main suit. character doesn't wear the hat. The fucking Vault Tech guy does. Fuck! I literally my experience with Fallout Four was sh- like drinking everything and shooting up every kind of drug I could, maxing out charisma and science and beating people with a wooden board because the game was fucking garbage. Also, because if you were drunk in that game, you would slur your speech. I thought that was really, really funny. Anyway, so, yeah, Dad, he's got, you know, he's white and black. He's got a, you know, no face, business suit, slacks, pipe, white fedora. And he, you know, Dad is, he's got a weird little quirk about him, which he showers his son in baked goods, clowns, and pranks. And this dude is actually based off of Andrew Hussey's own father, who was always super, super enthusiastic and supportive about whatever Andrew did. And, you know, that was from the uh, the book commentary. I spent $100 on the Problem Sleuth one and like 80 on the Homestuck books. I have a problem, Alex. I've spent over $700 on Homestuck. Christ. But uh, so John sneaks around his house after fucking around for a bit. You get introduced to his inventory system. He picks up an item and it's got like computer science in it. You know, if he picks, he's say if, if he has three inventory slots, he picks up some shoes, a hammer, and like nails, and then he picks up a cake. It's gonna shoot the hammer out because it was in there first, so it goes flying out the like max speed and hits shit. That's really fun, but now nah, we'll, we'll fucking get into those later. So John sneaks around his house because he uh he's waiting to install a game called Spurb. He wants to play it with him and his three other friends, so he sneaks around there and. uh he tries getting past the kitchen, and then his dad's there. And then it turns into a faux turn-based RPG fight. So, and so John, like, and this is common with all the kids, except for Dave, because Dave just gets his ass beat. But uh, they're all doing, like, pretty brutal attacks on, like, the Guardian. Like, John takes a claw hammer and tries beating his dad with it. Dad, in turn, sprays him with, sh- like, shaving cream and pies him in the face. Like, and then, of course, you know, the fucking, uh, you know, no damage to the dead. It just goes back and forth. You click on the options to do the attacks. And uh, 
So yeah, keep that detail about the Guardian just kind of like shrugging off these really strong attacks. Just keep that in mind. Uh, but John youth scampers and gets away. So he gets the uh, he gets the game, and it's got two discs, a client and a server. So he has a copy of the client, and his friend Rose connects as his server player. So what that is is that uh, there's a in-game HUD that goes over the fucking thing, and uh, Jade can, or Rose can go up there and drop items down in like the physical space of his house. So what he does is he goes in there and he uh, they start messing with it. He starts playing with all the tools and shit. And uh, at a certain point, he uh, opens up a opens up a little vault thingy there, and a sprite comes out, and it's like this flashing blue ball. And uh, at one point, he picks up an uh, and this was this was completely based on character like you know reader input here how this happened and how this played out was. Uh, Someone had John pick up an item that didn't make any sense, and so he shot glass shards out of his inventory, and he cut up a, uh, no, he cut the fuck up out of, like, a jester doll, and then that doll ends up falling into the, uh, into the sprite there, and now John's got, like, the sprite's blue, and it's got a jester face and, like, a cut up eye and arm, and it's running around getting up their shenanigans. So John keeps fucking around with that, uh, he makes a nuisance of himself with the machinery, and, uh, he takes, like, a, like a blue totem thing and brings it around puts it in there does a whole it's like a 17 step process and I'll, I'll get into why it's so overly complicated but uh john makes a nuisance and a uh, blue crystal apple appears he bites into it and like a meteor hits his fucking house and that's the end of the first act also take note of how much shorter that is compared to all the other ones to follow well, okay, the first four acts are pretty... Com- like, the first three acts are pretty compressed. So, let me give you a quick... Let me give you a Bogdan-off special on how Spurb actually plays. So, there's a client player and a server player. Server player can see the clients on their computer screen with a Sims... You know, like, the Sims-like HUD at the top of the screen. Server player can open the drop-down menu to put a whole bunch of different tools and alchemical paraphernalia... In the actual physical space of the client player's home. Deploying these costs build a grist. And you can only hold so much grist at one time until you level up. And leveling up, of course, is called climbing your ladder. Nothing in this comic has a normal name, because otherwise it wouldn't be goofy. So there's a, there's a ton of different grist types that drop from various enemies, depending on their uh, creature type and the environment they occupy. And your first goal is to get to the mysterious gate that appears above your home. After, in John's case, he took a bite out of an apple. In Rose's case, she has to break a bottle. They get increasingly more and more complicated. I think Dave had to, uh... What did Dave have to do? He had to hatch an egg. And then Jade had to, like, break a pinata. So they got, you know, a little bit more complicated each time. But, uh, when you go in there, there'll be, a, there'll be seven gates above your house. And you're supposed to get to the first one. And how do you get there? You use build grist gained from beating up enemies to grow your actual home and increase its height. And how do you get weapons to do that? Well, you use the alchemy system. So the alchemy system is one of the really, really creative and fun mechanics in Homestuck is you can take an item A and an item B and combine them. And uh, and this is hinted at earlier in the comic because each inventory item you get is uh, has a capture code on the back 
like you know where it's like the weird uh the weird wavy fucking uh letters that are hard to read yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so this is this is really where cuz the author Andrew Hussey went to college i believe for a computer science degree and this is where his computer science nerd degree really fucking like pedal to the goddamn metal it gets thrown into super high gear so i'm going to go over the process of what it takes to take item a and item b and combine them and then create a new item by paying the cost in grist so a player takes the item they have capture logged by picking it up and putting it in their inventory and puts it into a and takes the literal like they take the card out of their inventory that has like a picture of a telephone on it and puts it into a punch code a punch code designix so this does is it punches holes in an eight by eight grid through the card which makes it so you like you can't put that card back in your inventory it's it's fucked now so you take uh in john's case he took a hammer and he took a pogo ride puts them in there and they get punch codes so he takes those two cards and puts them into a nearby machine i believe it was the alchemeter and what it does it takes those cards and it scans them and then you choose uh and then it makes a totem that you take to another machine that then creates an item using different types of grist so you know really real fucking easy so the punch code reader has two different modes it has an or or and the other is an and and so the or or function looks at the differences between the two punch codes or between the two cards and generates an item with the look of one and the function of another. The and and function combines both the use and the function of both items. So in the example in the comic is the sledgehammer and a Ghostbusters pogo ride. With the or or, it makes the look of a hammer and the function of a pogo ride where it, uh, it's just like a pogo ride with a, a fucking, or no, I'm sorry. The and and does that because it's both it has both the look and function of a hammer and both the look and function of the Ghostbusters ride. So the or or makes a hammer that has like a Ghostbusters thing. It also works as like a bounce. So you hit something, it bounces back and forth. And it's really, really clever and really fun. And it lets people get super, super creative with making items, especially when the author like litters characters rooms with interesting stuff related to their hobbies and shit. He tries to explain their character by just showing it in like one big image. Like, what's her? I can't even forget her name. Is it Jade, the girl with the big glasses? Like, the minute you see that character get introduced, you know exactly what that character is about because of her stupid posters all over her goddamn room. Yeah, like John's room is just full of bad movie posters and cake and fucking like magic tricks and shit, which actually. That's another thing that I'll get into. A lot of things that are introduced early in the comic are pretty much they're they're introduced to give the uh, to give the readers a wide breadth of I think breadth is the word I'm looking for a wide breadth of things to choose from. Like in John's room, like because he obviously the author knew that the alchemy system was going to happen soon. You know the reader didn't, but so with the, with the well, you know with the author he's like oh, okay. Uh, magic tricks uh fucking uh john likes to use hammers so i'll put some hammers around the room or whatever the fuck you know here we get this this and that you know we got a big book of tricks uh whatever i'll have these things here it's, like, it's to uh guide the player in a sense to make the right choices that he's planning yep and he's like and when he would get commands that were really dumb shit he would still go with them 
And as a result, the first two acts kind of dragged really hard. Because he would be like, okay, uh, someone wants to waste time doing this thing that makes no sense. Okay, whatever, I don't give a fuck, I'm taking music commands. But yeah, he would point them kind of towards it. So, John, and he bites that apple and he enters, he's on a spire. And it's completely pitch black, there's a whole layer of clouds below him. And it's just, you know, it's completely black. His house is just kind of sitting there. It still has power despite, you know, not being connected to a power line or anything. And that's the kind of hint that uh, there's a bit of a weird connection between the quote-unquote real world and then the game world of Spurb. But, uh, so John's in his house, and then all these little imps start showing up. And you have a really, really fun flash where you get to explore John's house. You get to walk all around it, and he's got the um, the jester sprite kind of sitting there, like, over his shoulder. When he tries to talk to it, it just, like, seizures, like, sprays at him. But uh, you get to walk over his house, and you get to look at all the different stuff and explore it. It's really, really cool. But, uh, so then Act 2 starts. And Act 2 you, it continues from uh, another character, Rose Lalonde, or Rose Lalonde, if you're one of those idiots. And, uh, and Rose was one of my favorite characters. In the first half of the comic, she was fucking hilarious. Everything she did was incredible. It was great. She is a overly snarky, smug, goth girl. And she's aware of how awkward and nerdy the idea of a goth is and plays with it. Because she she does it because it's the opposite of what her guardian, who's, who goes by the name of Mom, is. Like, Mom is the female counterpart to Dad. She has a big, like... 50s bulbous hairstyle and button down like lab coat mom and rose's relationship is probably my favorite character interaction in all like 417 billion pages of the comic uh so it's revealed slowly throughout the comic that mom and grandpa who is jade's guardian uh don't worry we'll, we'll fucking that's a whole fucking mess they knew about sperm and how it caused the end of the world because when a player enters the game a meteor comes by and destroys their house to try and kick them like, hey, finish up this thing and get in here. You know, if they don't, like if John didn't bite the apple or figure out what the fuck he was supposed to do, he would just get hit by a meteor. He just really got murked. He was just like, there you go, you got fucked. So, as a result of this, Mom kind of takes to the sauce a bit. So, you know, the, you know taking the sauce because she knows that the world is fucked and also being like a big fancy science lady. And those two, those are kind of a leap. You know, it's never explicitly stated in the comic. Those are the reasons why mom is a drunk. But I just kind of, that's what makes the most sense to me. But, uh, and we see this again repeated much, much later in the comic with another character. But that's a whole fucking, you're, you're going to hear that a lot with, we'll get to that later. Homestuck is a very large comic. So what mom does is mom will avoid Rose and be busy for a super long time and then show up when she's drunk and turned off her ass. Then she tries to overcompensate in her inebriated state by doing weird shit. Like she'll shower Rose with gifts. Like, uh, so, so mom unironically likes wizards. She, she thinks they're awesome. Rose fuels into this by pretending to like them ironically. And so mom's like, Oh, okay. She loves wizards too. So she does like, Really weird shit like dropping in a three-ton wizard statue in their main hallway because she thinks it's awesome. And then Rose ironically likes it because it's fucking, it's fucking ugly-ass wizard. 
but uh, mom has a vacuum that is a bronze statue that she uses at 3 a.m. waking Rose up because she's too drunk to realize that's not what it's for. Because it was it was bronzed by I think Rose did it as like a passive aggressive jab. It's because that, that's their back and forth. Rose interprets these actions that her mother does as acting at the same level of snark and irony that Rose is at. So she sees him as an attempt to poke and kind of jab at Rose. My mom must be using this vacuum at 3 a.m. to mock a typical housewife doing housework. Just like when she bronzed the vacuum in the first place, you know? She's doing this at 3 a.m. to intentionally wake me because she's a fucking bitch. When in reality, they're like, no, no. She just doesn't realize what she's doing. She's not as much of a snarky asshole as you. And it's so good. The the, the back and forth between that is so fucking good. Another fantastic example, uh, Rose is in, like, second grade. She makes a poem about her cat, Jasper's. So mom makes an overly ornate $15,000 frame for the poem and puts it on the fridge. Rose sees this as her mother making like a huge show of, of Rose's mediocre art. It's a passive aggressive, wow, you're so good. Look at this amazing work you did. You know, Rose knows that it's just a child. She thinks of it as just a, a, a shitty poem she made when she was little and not realizing and then thinking like, oh, okay, that's what it is. Mom's doing this to mock me. When what mom is doing is like, oh, this is a great poem that my daughter did. I'm going to put it on there and put a whole bunch of work and money into this. And there's a back and forth with that where, god damn, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm like running out of breath because I got the tuberculosis. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed it, but like I was there would be like odd pauses where it was just me because I because I can't just like breathe at a normal volume. It's like when you're at a library and you got to be like really quiet. You got to like breathe kind of like shallowly, you know? I know, I don't go to the library because I'm not a fucking nerd. <laughs> so there's the poem and the $15,000 frame that's welded to the fucking fridge. And right below that, there's those fridge magnets, you know, those bright, colorful ones that have words on them. And so Rose writes down there, you know, she puts out shrew, but she uses two Vs. So... And, you know, some of these are a little bit of assumptions. Some of them are kind of, you know, some of them are stated in the comic. Uh, Mom purchases a fresh pack of Just W magnets from, like, Costco. So, and she does this because she's like, oh, okay, I don't know what this word means, but it looks like, uh, oh, okay, Rose needs a W, so let me go ahead and buy one of those. So then Rose leaves a sincere thank you note, which she gets legally notarized and marked with a drop of her own blood. And then... Part of it was touching the floor, so Mom went ahead and made a velvet pillow to put underneath it. And so then Rose is like, okay, how am I going to one-up this, you know? And she's like, oh, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to spill some wine on the pillow, and then leave a, you know, a huge apology note, and then come back with, uh, you know, come back with, uh, you know, the exact uh, cost of the dry cleaning that I took this pillow to that was holding up a thank you note. And then, you know... She she takes a W out of the fucking magnets and leaves the exact change that one W would be in there and then then stitches it back up. And it's this whole back and fucking forth like Rose is trying to be super passive aggressive. Mom is just like taking it at face value, trying to be a good parent. And it's so good. It's so good. But that's whole that's that's Rose's whole thing. She's incredibly passive aggressive. She's very, very snarky. 
and she's a really fun character. She has tons and tons of great dialogue. And then it all gets thrown in the dumpster in Act 5 where she doesn't do that anymore. And she, like, changes to be, like, a like a fucking brick wall. But, uh, so the power goes out at John's, or the power goes out at Rose's, I'm sorry. There's a meteor shower that's happening. And she lives deep in the woods, and the woods are catching on fire. So, you know, power went out because something fell way out in the woods or something. So she's like, okay, shit, I got to charge my laptop so I can go back and help John out because he's surrounded by all these imps. You know, I want to try and build his house up for him so that he can go to the next level, you know, go to that gate. So uh, Rose goes out there and she finds mom, you know, vacuuming, vacuuming with the power out in the middle of the rug there. And so they get into another stripe thing. Uh, mom is like just sitting there with a vacuum and a martini. And again, mom doesn't have any facial features. None of the guardians do. Rose goes up there and she starts like stabbing her with needles. You know, mom like offers her a martini and shit. And there's one thing that was like pretty fucked up where Rose, like one of the options you like do a backflip and run away and then stick the sewing needles that Rose uses. Cause she uses needles as her weapon. She sticks them into a fucking power outlet as like a mock suicide attempt. Like what the fuck? Jesus. But uh, that's what Rose does. And then she runs away and she goes back to trying to find some way to uh, some way to get her power back and to save John. So let me go on over to Dave Strider and he's the third kid. And Dave lives in Texas with his guardian bro. Uh, They live in a messy penthouse apartment that looks like it looks like it's shared by two brothers. Bro has like a collared shirt, communist shades, and he is like fuck deep in the irony pool. And uh, he supports Dave and himself financially through a puppet smut website and other weird puppet, like puppet fetish materials that he sells on the Internet. And so Dave lies to himself like, oh, yeah, no, this is, yeah, no, it's ironic. It's cool. You know, bro's got this. He's a cool dude. You know, with like, nah, this creepy as fuck little cow puppet with his blank stare and the way he sneaks up on me constantly. He's all right. It's cool. Little cow's cool. So bro is kind of an asshole, like. The other guardians there, you know, they're normal parents, kind of. You know, dad just, like, is overbearing on John and making him stuff all the time. Like, making him cakes and shit. And, like, covering the house in clowns because John likes, you know, because dad likes clowns. Bro does shit like, uh, he, he just keeps him on his toes, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously an exaggeration of that of a typical older and younger brother relationship. Like my older brother and I would often fight and wrestle. Like uh, my older brother would put me in a triple H headlock or kidney punch me when I wasn't expecting it. And look at me now. I spent eight years reading a webcomic I hate. I'm perfectly normal. So bro takes this to an extreme level because he's kind of a piece of shit. And, uh, but yeah, enough about bro. I'll get into his motivate, motivate motivations and all that later on. There you go. So Dave is the server player to Rose and the client to another character by the name of Jade. So Rose gets through her house. The fire's getting closer. Dave places all the all the shit and Rose enters the game by uh, breaking a bottle and getting in there and shit. And for her sprite, she throws in her dead cat and like a like a stitched up cuddle Cthulhu. She called it. It was like a princess doll that her mom got her that she took her needle sewing kit and made like a uh Made like Cthulhu tentacles and shit. And then we go into Act 3. 
And at some point, actually, I don't remember when, but uh, Dave impales a crow with a crabby, shitty sword. And it gets put into his colonel sprite, and it makes uh, a pretty fucking cool one, just Seppu Crow. Because I, I just wanted some opportunity to say Seppu Crow, because that was really fucking cool. It's just an impaled crow. But, uh, so, so then we go to Act 3, and, uh, or I think, I think we check back in with John a little bit, and we see, uh, one of the sperm mechanics, which is, as players are entering the game, enemies are getting parts of those designs, uh, you know, John, you know, John put a clown, he put a jester in, uh, Jade put in fucking, I keep saying Jade Rose put in a giant princess Cthulhu cat thing. So some things have, you know, princess outfits and that's actually really important. The, uh, princess outfits, cause it is the origin or one of the origins of everything going wrong in this comic from a story perspective, not like one of the things that ruined the comic as a whole, but like that is where shit starts to fall. That, you know, is crucial to the comics overall storyline. So let me go into act three and we're introduced to the last kid. We're introduced to Jade, Jade Harley. You, we see her before then just in chat logs between the two characters. She's giving all of her friends cryptic clues about their futures that she glimpses through mysterious means. Jade has a gimmick of breaking all of the patterns established by the other three kids so far. Which is to say, uh, you know, a kid is introduced and given a silly name. Uh, John's was Zeus Mel Poop Lord. Rose's was Flighty Broad. Dave's was, uh, I think it was Huge Douchebag. Something like that. You know, the pattern is always, you, you get that silly name, the kids mess around in their rooms, leave, and have a combat session with their guardian. Whom's they have a rough relationship with for jade uh you know it opens up and she has a letter for the reader that's like hey you know you shouldn't give me a silly name like that that's really mean i think it was uh i don't remember hers i don't even know if she was given one it was something something about a pig she has that letter there and then you're showing her flutes because every kid had a musical instrument assigned with them as well john played the piano Rose played the violin. Dave used the, uh, uh, like a turntable. And then Jade's like, oh, hey, look at my flute. And then there's, you know, an interactive flash where you're pressing all the buttons and, you know, you, you know, each button on the keyboard has a different sound from a shitty flute, like a different silly animation. The thing about Jade is that she's always falling asleep at random points. And that comes up again later and probably one of the worst plot twists I've ever read. But, uh, so she leaves the room, she comes across her grandpa, and then she gets into a fight with him. Or rather, she gets into a fight with her grandfather's stuffed corpse, because he's dead. And has been dead since she was, like, three. So her actual guardian is a dog by the name of Beckworell. Shortened to Beck, just B-E-C. And he's, like, this crazy god dog. He's got all this weird shit that's not explained, where... Uh, he's able to teleport. He's got no, he's a white dog, no facial features, of course. And he's just able to teleport all over the place and do all sorts of weird omniscient shit. Uh, so Jade spends her time gardening, sleeping, playing her bass and doing weird science shit. Uh, we, she explores her island and we finally get some more information about her. Cause she, cause you see the little bits of her as a, cause the comics always jumping between characters. Uh, there's one point where she's in her room 
where Hussey or Andrew Hussey shows up his first like, haha, fuck you. Uh, Jade makes like a one off comment about furries. And then he turns into a huge, like three page long thing about being a dog person, walking through the misty woods and then eating a weird bug. Actually, that kind of like weird furry joke was probably one of the very few things that was planned from the start of the comic as it once again ends up playing a role much later on. But Jade shows off all the crazy cool tech that she and Grandpa made, like a four-necked base, a robot body that moves when she's asleep, uh, tiny radioactive ovens and freezers. But uh, most importantly, this is where it's revealed that Grandpa is the owner of Skyonet, the mysterious producers of the Spurb game, who deciphered the code from the game from an ancient temple that's located on Jade's Island, because she lives you know, way out in the middle of Pacific. So, you know, once again, can take a step back because uh, I'm going to go over the what the what the video game Spurb story mode is. Because it's very hard to really summarize Homestuck because going from a um, chronological standpoint, because it jumps all the fucking time. So uh, the story mode of Spurb is there's a glowing white and blue, probably intelligent if not at least self-aware sphere in the center of the Spurb in-game universe named Skya. And on Skya, there's a white king and a black king. And they're just on a, you know, a three-by-three chessboard chasing after each other, an eternal stalemate. Each person that enters the game, that battlefield between them gets more and more complicated. With the entry of the first player, it becomes a full chessboard. Uh, The entry of the second player, it becomes a small planetary battlefield and uh, one more, and it gains a ring of intertwining, you know, checkered roads. Uh, for the later on, the troll characters who had 12 players instead of the four, they required the use of several players just to navigate the incredibly complicated structures that formed from their version of Sky, because each iteration gets more and more and more complicated. There's actually a really fun concept uh, called Macro Stuck, which was a fan thing, which was a, a session of the game that had 1,000 players which sky had become like this monster of a place filling up the center of the game world with like non-Euclidean geometry and all sorts of crazy shit. Uh, there's like fucking guilds of the different classes and aspects. And those are all a thing. But uh, as I was saying, as the players progress through the spread game, the white King will always lose unless, uh, well, that, that, that's, that's a weird, the white King can't win the game due to weird time shit. So the white side will always lose. And when the white side loses, the black king takes his scepter, and uh, with both the black king's scepter and the white king one, he begins the reckoning. And what that is, is way, way, way out in the outer far corners of the game world, there's a meteor belt called the Veil. And what's out there is like an, it's like an end game optional area to explore for players that has uh, laboratories where all the shit, like, because everything's chess themed. So where all the, the black and white king's chess sh- uh, chess soldiers are created and then shipped to the battle on the big Skya place. When the reckoning begins, the black king will start pelting Skya with these meteors to try and kill it. Because the black the black king wants to kill Skya. You know, he's the antagonist. You're supposed to protect Skya from him, kill him, you know, wipe those dudes out and beat the game. You know, end game areas, you go to Skya and you fight the black king. So once the Reckoning starts, he starts pelting these meteors at the uh, at Skya. And Skya's like, oh shit. And it starts opening up portals that moves the meteors to Earth. 
And so that's how this kind of ties together. The meteors that rained down on Earth at the start of the game when every player first started was, you know, it destroys the planet and then it fills it with uh, the laboratories and tools from the Veil. Because the game, like, to save on space combines both those, you know, breeding laboratories. Because once you get to the end of the game, you don't need them anymore. And then just uses them like, yeah, we'll fucking repurpose these to try and kill the thing and then destroy the planet that, that the players came from. Whatever, fuck it. So, the meteors ravage the planet, and then there's some some of the uh, of the chess like the the NPC chess people will end up there. And uh, throughout the first three acts, you keep getting these these cutaways to these weird uh, these weird guys in like a desert place that are they they got these hard black and white skins. They got these carapaces, and then it's revealed, oh, that's what these players are. And then they go into these laboratories on this destroyed Earth because they were on those meteors. Or they get brought there and it's, there's a lot of like one off shit that it, it's like explaining lost times four. There's a lot of small shit that kind of spins back around. You know, there's always exceptions, but these these dudes that were in the game world end up in, you know, this destroyed Earth and what their job is is to go around and to try and reseed the planet with the technology that was in those uh, those meteors to try and make a new pr- new crop of players for the game to play. And that's because uh, Spurb is like a reproductive system. So, and this is where you can see, when you, when you really take a step back, you can see a lot of what Spurb is. And so, you know, once you start thinking about it in terms of, uh, because the comic as a whole is two things. It is a coming of age story and it is a creation myth. Or rather, that's what it was supposed to be. And then, God damn, did it get twisted and fucked up? And just in the general, what, 13,000 pages it has now? It has more pages than the Bible. King James Version. So, (laughs) I got the tuberculosis. It's hard to breathe. I actually need a second. My tuberculosis is acting up. I got the consumption. Go ahead. Take your time. So, all right. So that's enough sperm talk for now. And let's go ahead and get back to the kids. So Jade's showing off her home and we see Beck, you know, the large white dog ability to teleport himself and others all over the place. And uh, there's actually a really fun flash when you're introduced to him, which uh, Homestuck is a multimedia webcomic. It has pages that are told in static images, pages that are mostly text, pages that are animated panels, pages that are flash games, flash movies, uh, some panels that are just like go to different pages on the website for a self-contained few. Uh, it takes advantage of the medium a lot. You know, there are in in game or in world URL links that you click on. And then you get to see them and shit like that. But, uh, so there's this flash game where Jade plays fetch with Beck and how she does that is she uses rifle kind because everyone has a, you know, a weapon that's X, Y, Z kind, hammer kind, sword kind, rifle kind, needle kind, et cetera, et cetera. It can be fucking anything. So Jade, like you take a gun and you aim and you shoot at the dog and then he teleports around like, teleports you and uh, Jade around the world catching this bullet. And, it, you know, it's it's one of those really creative ways. You're just like, oh, hey, 
let's see what everyone's doing right now. You know, it jumps to what John's doing, jumps to what Dave's doing, jumps to what Rose is doing, shit like that. You get a good look at it, and you, you know. Then Dog chases it down, catches the bullet, and it has a really, really sweet track by the name of Sun Slammer, which is a fucking banging song. So Jade gives him a stake after playing fetch and uh, sneaks past him into that frog temple, you know, the ancient temple that's near her island, because she got a message from someone asking her to do that. So she waits in the temple for an item to appear. What do you know? A present appears next to her from an even more mysterious pen pal. So in this, this present super, super important. It's uh, Jade's birthday present to John. All of the kids have a present that uh, they're trying to send to John. It goes to each one of them and in turn ends up getting to John for his birthday. Uh, I believe, uh, yeah, all of their birthdays. Uh, John's is on April 13th. The other kids are in December, like, 1st, 3rd, and 5th or something. I don't think there's any real importance to their dates. But, uh, so this present starts with Dave buys the actual bunny from Con Air, which is, you know, a shitty movie that John really liked. And then it ends up going to uh, John. John gives the bunny to a baby version of Rose, which uh, I'll get to that. Rose repairs it, sends it to Jade. Jade gets it, sends it to her pal, pal, pen pal. Pen pal sends it back armed to the Dickens with high-end god-tier weapons and robopets. Uh, Jade packs it up and sends it to John's house, along with the original game disc that he went out in the car to go get. Before Dad caught him and he had to fight in like the kitchen and shit. So that ends up getting stuck in Dad's car. The bunny there with all that crazy shit is just stuck in the Dad's car. So we so we're caught up there, you know, Jade uh, gets that present to mail off to John. We go back to John and he and Rose have started exploring his house in the big black void there. All the imps are now covered in the colorful, silly clothing, jester hats, cat faces, crow mouths, tentacles. You know, up in the sky, there's that big spirograph gate and higher still six more. John beats up some imps, gets the grist, uh... He gets, he finds his way into his dad's room and finds out he isn't a wacky street performer clown like he thought he was, has a mental breakdown, and then alchemizes himself some sweet kicks. Uh, so Rose's house catching a fire, Dave gets her in there, uh, she throws the, she throws her dead cat and the Cthulhu princess doll into her sprites. Uh, John does some sick tricks bouncing off enemies and launches himself up into the first gate, which brings him to the surface of his planet. The land of wind and shade. Now, there was a Flash game for this one, which is, I would say it's probably my favorite one. Because what it is, is your John. Oh, and also uh, his grandmother's ashes also fell into the thing after they entered the game. So now he's got a white and blue ghost version of a jester version of his grandma that chases him around all over the place. And gives him advice. But, uh... So for this minigame, you go onto his planet, the land of wind and shade. It's got a really, really kicking track called Doctor. And you explore around there. You mash spacebar to hit a whole bunch of different imps. That drop, uh... Different types of grist. And, uh... You walk around and you just explore. And that's a ton of fun. Just because you get to see and, and play it like... You could pretend that the comic as a whole is a video game. And you're playing this section. You know? But I, uh, I remember that fucking Flash you're talking about, because I actually really, really liked that one. All the Flashes that I remember the most were the ones that you actually had, uh, that you actually could interact with. 
one of the things that you see there is uh, you see the dad's car. And so, you know, you, you know, there's little mini quests that are showed on his planets. Uh, he has these little salamander guys that are running around spitting bubbles everywhere. And like, oh, yeah, the wind stopped. We haven't actually gotten into that, but uh, each person who plays the game gets their own like unique world. It has like two main features that are kind of spread throughout the entire planet. Yep. Wind and shade, rain and lights, or light and rain, I'm sorry. Uh, frosted frogs and heat and clockwork are the four of them. And you see this, uh, there's a lot of really fun foreshadowing that the comic does. When the perspective is changing to those weird carapace dudes, one of them is like in a bunker and he had a bunch of chalk and so he drew a mural. And on that mural you see... Uh, you see a planet that's black and it's got a bunch of goop on it, which is John's wind and shade because it's got a whole bunch of oil on it. You see a big red one that has a gear around it. You see one that has a giant volcano and some like ice on it. And then you see one that's like, you know, really, really bright yellow. And you get little hints as like, oh, what are these? There's there's a million mysteries throughout Homestuck. Every time that you every time that one of them is solved, you're like, wait. Okay, but what about these other seven? You know, that's what really kind of pulls you in there. But, uh, so, uh, one of the characters, one of the NPCs, finds the car, finds Dad's car, that has the present on it. He's like, yo, 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 what the fuck is this? And uh, he confiscates it, and his name is, I want to say, Armed Fuck. I I, I gotta Google this, because I know I'll get shit for it. <laughs> Not a real fan. Not a real fan. Wee woo, wee woo, wee woo. Not a real Homestuck fan. Authority, authority, fuck, authority regulator. He is wearing like a, he's a, he's a policeman, you know. And he's like, oh shit, what is this car doing here without a permit? And then he takes the items and he confiscates them. So he confiscates Jade's presents and the spare game copies that John had. Uh, he eventually gets those back and it's just one of those like small like let's move the plot along mysteries that he has to solve and but he doesn't get the present the present goes and it goes to Skya or it goes to I'm sorry Durs so there's three kingdoms in the game three NPC kingdoms that are always there uh, that are independent of each player's land and those are Skya which is the blue and white planet in the middle of the universe that uh has the Black King and the White King constantly fighting on it. You know, it's you, you can see it from any planet at all times. You know, you can look up, you can see it way there in the distance. And then there's Prospit. Prospit is the, it's the golden city in the sky, and it's where the White King and Queen base their operations. And it's where Jade, uh, or, well, I'll get, I'll get back to that. Like, so, on the other, on the opposite end, way, 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 way back by those meteors, way in the back corner, is uh, a brooding and solemn purple planet called Durs. It's the home of the Black King and Queen, and a very, very important NPC by the name of Jack Noir. So, Jack Noir is normally... Because the game offers you many different options to finish the game. You could go through Brute Force and kill the Black King and Black Queen... Or you can try and, you know, talk your way out of it. You know, you can you can set up all this shit and try to be try to be a real sneaky breaky about it. 
And normally what you could do is you can you can side with him because he really fucking hates the Black Queen. But in this game, what what happens is the Black Queen is messing with him because she knows that he can't do anything. You know, as Rose, you know, Rose put in those princess outfits and the clown hats that go in. And so she's in there embarrassing him, making him wear all these silly clothing. And so he gets real fucking mad, real fucking fast. So he's doing grunt work. He's filling out parking tickets. He gets that present. He's like, what the fucking who gives? Oh, shit. So because it's full of like super endgame weapons. So, you know, he's, you know, he's enduring the Black Queen's taunts until the present's brought to him. And uh, he uses it to kill the Black Queen and steal her ring. Each of the kingdoms have their own king and queen, each with their own scepter or ring. Whoever has one of these items, it also isn't a player. So a player can't like rush the queen and just like steal her ring and get super powerful. Uh, They get all the attributes and power level of that original owner. Normally this is kept in check because the... The game's programming keeps the black king and queen from just going fucking ham on the players until the players go out of their way to confront them themselves. Uh, because on Prospect and Durst, the players are there split 50-50 as princesses or princesses or princes of the planets, respective moons. You know, a player eventually wakes up on that moon at some point when they sleep as a kind of spare life. But I have a question real quick, actually. So... If you're a prince or princess of Purple Planet with the Black King, why would you go against the Black King and Queen in the first place? That threw me for a loop too, because I'm like, well, why the fuck would you even go there? And there's not a very good explanation as to why some players are on there. But what's there is you can kind of use it to get some info about because the the people there won't just up and up. They're basically your inside men. Yeah, the players who are. The princes or princesses of Durs are like you're given the opportunity to be a sneaky breaky. You know, you can go down there and mingle or try to see what's going on with the black king and queen's court. You know, they won't like even though that they are they are the bad guys, quote unquote, the only bad guys that are those black chess pieces, you know, the black king, black queen and their higher up agents. Those are the only ones that are going to like actively try and kill you if they see you. But they, the game's programming stops them from going up there and just cutting your throat, you know? Jack gets this, he gets the Queen's Ring, an NPC that is not supposed to get that, and is not supposed to be that strong, and has no kind of limiting factors. You know, the, 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 the Queen has a limiting factor of don't go ape shit and kill everyone in their sleep. The generic, you know, the the high level NPC doesn't have that. He gets the ring. He gets. He's able to just do whatever the fuck he wants. So you know, he goes on there. He goes fucking ape shit. He kills everything. Uh, back on Loas, uh, land of wind and shade. John starts looking for his dad, who disappeared once he got there. Uh, dad is taken to the slammer. You know, he's taken to jail on Durse. Uh, John finds his consorts, which are those bubbly yellow salamanders I mentioned earlier. They're living in like shitty huts. Uh, we smash cut to Dave on the land of heat and clockwork and his sprite is one of those super creepy puppets from earlier named Lil Cal you know Dave's got some sick duds and what I I firmly believe this is the best idea ever for a sword which is the Snoop Dogg snow cone machete it is a broken Excalibur like sword that has a clock in the handle 
Now, what that clock does is it rewinds time specifically for the sword to a point which it wasn't broken to make it full size, which is fucking awesome. That is such a cool idea. Depending on, like, if you want to smash someone, you keep it broken, you just fucking beat them with it. If you want to slash it, rewind time to when you didn't break the fucking thing, and then swing it. It's awesome. I fucking love it. But, uh, we find out that this is a doomed timeline where only Dave and Rose are left alive. Something, John did something dumb, and as a result, he died before he could get Jade into the game. So the only ones that are alive are Dave and Rose. So... And this is where the class-spect stuff kind of kicks in. And each player has a class and an aspect associated with them. Dave is a knight of time. Rose is a seer of light. And so Rose has this idea where she starts getting these... uh, She starts getting pulled in this direction like, okay, we're totally fucked. What can we do here? And so they learn as much as they can before uh, having Dave go back in time to stop John from doing his dumb shit and killing himself. And Jade... It's actually a pretty crazy scene, uh, because Rode breaks her facade to like be like, okay, like she's she stops being like, you know, like hoity toity, ironic, like, you know, super snarky, and she's like, huh. And she starts wondering if like when when Dave goes back, like, is she gonna stop existing? Is she gonna be left alone here forever? And it's uh so Dave hops back in time and it kind of like has a weird fade out on Rose as you're kind of left like, well, who knows, you know, what happened to her? Did she get merged with the main time? What the fuck happened? It's never really clear. Dave goes back in time, says hello to himself, drops a bunch of fat loot and then backflips into his Colonel Sprite and turns into the most unfortunate character in the comic, Dave Sprite. Next few pages, it shows Jack going ape shit, killing the black king and queen but just going fucking crazy. So John follows uh, the authority. Fuck, what was it again? The authority regulator. He follows him out to those comets way, way out in the edge of the game. And this is where some of the weird predestination stuff that Homestuck does comes into play. I mentioned earlier that John gives a bunny to a baby version of Rose. So John goes out to these meteors, and there's a whole bunch of machines set up. And what he does is he goes there, and he starts, like, pressing buttons. There's, like, a screen that's locked on Dad, and a screen that's locked on Mom. He presses them, and it makes, like, a genetic clone that's just, like, this weird, goopy shit. It just falls in there and gets sucked into a tube. And so he does that with, I believe it is Grandpa, John's grandmother, Mom and bro i believe i believe those are the four he does i might be forgetting i don't remember if dad is included i don't think he is but uh so he takes these and then what he does is he makes he, he makes clones of those so he takes bro and mom's dna splices them together and makes rose and dave and then he does the same with grandma and grandpa. Makes a baby version of himself and a baby version of Jade. And then baby... Ver- it, it's really weird. And the reason why it happens is each of these kids... Each of these baby versions of all the characters and all of their guardians is sent out to the Earth on these meteors. And the reason why 
is because it's something that's the the game universe you know the the logic of sperb does to ensure that someone's playing the game because if john didn't play the game he would never have been born he wasn't naturally born he arrived on a goddamn meteor you know which is you know just, just pretend that a baby could survive that but it's one of many things that the game that the comic does to do a stable time loop john has to play the game to be born to wake you know to grow old play the game and born, like make himself get born it's weird that's where act 4 ends and then right after that we go to act 5 where it it starts a fucking nosedive it just goes downhill fast this episode was kind of kind of lame. It's it's just just to give people an idea of what Homestuck is as a story, and then the the ones following this, I'm going to go more into the actual uh, why the structure, why I enjoyed the structure of the comic so much, uh, the terrible terrible fan base it gathered, and why that happened. My feelings on the author, how he went about creating the comic, and then my personal thoughts on it as it developed and. But uh, I hope my tuberculosis didn't kind of hurt this too much as I kept running out of breath because I got the consumption. And hopefully the tuberculosis doesn't kill you before you release the next couple of parts. That'll do it for this first episode here. Uh, the other ones, were, I'm going to record them because this one got delayed due to a whole bunch of dumb shit, which was just scheduling errors. Uh, Alex's dog throwing up when I heard the word homestuck. Uh, me just like being too sick or schedules conflicting because I've been so busy, but I'm definitely going to spend this weekend. We're going to get the rest of these done. We're going to go through them with a fine tooth comb and make sure that these are as good as they can be. I think that'll do it for this one. So let me go ahead and uh, do the final little plugs here. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at let me tell you PD. You could send emails on into the show at let me tell you PD or no wait. Fuck. What was it again, Alex? It was like, let me tell you about T-T-T with like three T's or something. Because otherwise, it wouldn't fit. And then you can find all the links to the show on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play. You can find those on the website, which is lmtya.com. Those will all be in the description with the links and all that. Uh, hopefully our audio both sounded, uh, both sounded good in this episode. We've been messing with a lot of stuff. We finally got a lot of the more expensive audio equipment in which is all thanks to the cool dudes over on the Patreon. Every month we do the, uh, we, we hit the bonus noise boys, which is either a noise boys, which is just me and Alex riffing the shit or like a guest thing where we get a guest. Uh, early this month I had RJ Lake on the show and he answered a bunch of questions about working on the Homestuck music albums and his opinions on the end of the story. And those were a lot of fun, but uh, that'll do it for this episode. And we will see you guys on Wednesday for sure with the next part.